love that. It was just a little tiny picture. Can I be allowed to say cute? Can I say cute? I thought it was cute. I'll say it mainly. That was cute. Is that good? Is that better? I like that. See, that's a picture of the church. We are small and mighty when we get together, right? That's a picture of the power of the church. But how many of you know that you can have union but not unity? For example, if you get a cattail and a dog's tail and you tie it together, you have union but you don't have unity, right? Or Pastor Brian Lake that was over here, he loves cats, loves cats. So what if we got about 10 cats and tied them to Brian Lake? Um, we've got union, but we certainly don't have unity, right? Right? See, you can have union, but not unity. There's so many households that you live under the same roof. You have union, but you don't have unity. Some of you have children on your roof that you have union with them, but you don't have unity. See, you can have union without unity. And so much and so often the church looks like that. The church looks like a bunch of cats and dogs with their tails tied together, going this way, going that way, clawing each other and running around. And Satan loves it. See, the New Testament emphasizes unity. Jesus said the mark of his disciples and what the world would see in us would be our love for one another. That's what would show the world that we are his disciples. It would be our love for one another. So I think it's kind of a, a big deal. So where do you think the devil's going to attack us? Our unity. It's his number one tactic to destroy the church. See, the devil's all right with union. He's all right if you come to church and sing a few songs. He's all about that. But he doesn't like the unity part when you get into a small group. He's all about, I might open my Bible once in a while, but I'm not going to do it. See, he's all about that. See, Satan comes to divide and conquer. He wants to turn the church in and of itself. But Jesus comes to unite and conquer. Think about it. Satan's been doing this since the Garden of Eden. He divided God and Adam and Eve. He divided Adam and Eve. They started blaming each other. You see, so many of our marriages, so much in our church, so many of our children are divided, and we blame each other. We blame our spouses. But it's the devil is moving because he wants to divide you. He wants to divide the church. He wants to divide your family. But Jesus comes to unite and conquer, to turn the church outward, to bring healing. Together, we are powerful. But Jesus said, a house divided cannot stand. You see, Satan wants to rob us of our effectiveness by dividing our homes, our church, divided parents, divide the children. He wants to do it in everything, and Paul sees this as a big deal in the New Testament. Listen to what he writes in Galatians 5.15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, church, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. See, Paul sees this as a reality that these things that we think are small are dividing the church. And he says, watch out. You think it's a small thing, but you're going to be devouring and biting each other, and it will destroy the church. You see, the church is meant to be a healing station for the world. How can we do that if we're wounding each other? See, hurt people hurt people. Now, I don't know if that's grammatically correct up there, okay? I should have my wife check it, hurt people hurt people, but you know what I'm saying, and so many in the church are hurt, and they continue to hurt others. And that's what the church does. 
You see, what happens when a church is compromised, opinionated, critical, and not united? Jesus ends up on the outside, and we lose the power of our witness. Praying for believers in John 17, 21, Jesus says, may they all be one. He's talking to us. May they all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. And listen to what Jesus says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity shows our Jesus. Let me say that again. Because what Jesus is saying there is powerful. He's saying, you want to be my witnesses? Then you unite. Our unity shows our Jesus to the world. Are we showing Jesus to the world? Listen to Jesus in Revelation speaking to the churches. He rebukes all of them, and he says this to all of them, but specifically to the church in Laodicea, he says an interesting thing. And some people are like, well, that, that was a church way back then. But some scholars believe this is the church age right now, what's happening right now. But listen to what he says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Repent means to change your mind. Here I am. Jesus hadn't gone anywhere. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is on the outside knocking on the door and you're like well, well Brian it, he just wants to get together and have some food right he just wants to have a meal isn't that what it's talking about this is the meal of friendship this is the meal of friendship TBA is Jesus right outside those doors knocking saying you become a friend of the world and I'm knocking to get back into there I'm knocking to get back into your heart I'm knocking to get back into that place that is rightfully mine is Jesus is Lord of the church. He wants to establish his friendship again. See, if you withhold your friendship with your brother, when you keep the church in a place of disunity because your opinion matters more than having eternal perspective, when we live compromised in sin, when we find ourselves a friend to the world, Jesus ends up on the outside. Can you imagine that? May it never be. We are bought with the blood of the Lamb. We belong to Him. And Jesus is saying, I'm knocking away. Church, where are you? Where are you? Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Notice it doesn't say He kicks the door down. See, that's a picture that we have of Jesus. Jesus is he's into knocking down doors. He just wants to get in my life and mess it all up. Jesus stands at the door and knocks and says, I love you. I know what's best for you. I'm the shepherd of the church. Let me in. See, he's not going to break down the door. If I want to acknowledge Jesus in the church, it's my choice. He never intrudes. We keep him out by being divided. See, we have a choice, TBA. You have a choice every single day of your life. When I wake up every morning, I have a choice. Every morning, I have a choice. Do I want God in my life? Do I want God in my church? Do I want him in my family? Do I want him with my children? I have a choice. We have a choice. Is Jesus going to stay outside those doors? Or are we going to invite him in into the meal of friendship? So keeping unity says this. Keeping unity says something to God that he loves. He absolutely loves when the church says this. When the church says, I need other believers. 
I can't do it on my own. I'll lay down my rights. And he loves that because it takes humility. And submission is the language of the church. And that's why God loves it. We're sheep. One of the most common analogies in the Old Testament and New Testament regarding us and our relationship with God is he's a shepherd and we're sheep. So I've said this before, but let me tell you something about sheep. You probably already know. Well, they're not always the smartest, right? But let me tell you something. Did you ever see a sheep in a car beside you navigating for the person? Turn left, turn right, go this way. No sheep. They're not a homing device. They're not a GPS system. They don't know how to get around. They don't know where to go. Sheep can't bear burdens. You ever see mules? They pack stuff on mules, and they drive them with a whip. The sheep can't bear burdens. You put something on a sheep, they're getting flattened, okay? They can come on back up for breath. And sheep can't defend themselves. You never heard of an attack sheep, right? You never heard of Brian Legg saying, man, we're going to hunt hogs or Tom Carter. We're going to hunt some hogs tonight. Man, go get the sheep. We're going to go catch some hogs, man, with the sheep. No. The sheep will get all tore up. It ain't happening. So let me sum it up about you. You can't navigate. You can't bear burdens. And you can't defend yourself. But Brian, the Bible says we got to carry each other's burdens. Yeah. We have to carry each other's burdens together. Together we can. Together we can do this. Listen to what it says in Ephesians and Corinthians. In Ephesians it says, God appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. That's us. He's the head. We're the body. We're connected to Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're connected to him, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Go on, Corinthians. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. He is our head shepherd. And together, under the voice of the shepherd, we can do those things. We can carry each other's burdens. We can navigate where God wants us to go. We can defend ourselves with the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When we submit to one another, that's the key. Ephesians says, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. I already said this. Submission is the language of the church. It's the language of your marriage. Both male, female, it is, the, it is it's the key to everything. Submission is the language of the church. See, to be in a small group, to be in a D group, it says, I need you, Lord, and I need others. But you notice it talks about submitting. See, Jesus is a shepherd. He doesn't drive us. See, that would be in the back of the sheep. He'd have a whip, and he'd be like, just get it right. No, he leads out front. He says, follow me. I know where we're going. Let's go together. Let's do this. And he leads those who will willingly follow him. It's his design. It's the way he designed it. So we need to guard unity in the church. We need to guard unity in the church. How serious is this? Well, in Revelation, we've already talked a little bit about it. 
but Jesus speaks to the churches, and Jesus says, I will remove your lampstand. At first you're like, you're going to remove a decorative item from my house, Lord? And I'm, I'm a guy, so I'm like, go ahead, that's cool. No, this is powerful. This is scary stuff. This is the very presence of God that fills the temple. It was the fire that was blazing nonstop on the lampstand that signified the witness that illuminated the temple, that illuminates the church. That's what he's saying. The Spirit of God that illuminates the church, that is our witness. You are in danger of losing that. We won't lose our salvation. We're not losing the Holy Spirit, but we'll lose the power of the Holy Spirit, the witness, the light. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It represents the power and presence and the influence of the Holy Spirit to be a witness and an effective church. Guys, I want to be a witness and an effective church. But we have to submit to each other. We have to submit to the Lord of our lives. Many, many churches have lost the power of the Holy Spirit because they have grieved the Holy Spirit. How many of you have heard that before? We use that a lot of things. I hear that a lot. Well, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, you ate those Twinkies and you grieved the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we hear it in a lot of different settings, right? What does that even mean? We grieved the Holy Spirit. Let me show you. See, there is a direct correlation between how we treat each other and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Ephesians. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid. So now he's going to say, this is, this is why the Spirit of God has been grieved. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. And malice means gossip, backbiting, getting people on your side. It's the little scheming that we do. But listen to what he says. Be kind and compassionate with each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. What is grieving the Holy Spirit? It's how you relate to other believers. We wreck the church when we divide with our gossip, with our sour attitudes, when it has to be done our way, with grudges, with comparison. You know, how many of you heard like, man, that church is anointing or that person is anointed? It looks back to the oil that they would put on the priest or the king. And it would start with the head. There's an old verse in the Old Testament that says how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It's like the oil that went on Aaron the priest. Now, they didn't just dab a little bit of oil. We do that. They poured on the oil on the head. And it says that went down his hair, went down to his beard, went down to the robe. You see, who is the head of the church? It's Jesus Christ. Where does the anointing come from? It comes and it starts with Jesus. He is the holy and anointed one. And the anointing for our church comes from Jesus. And it flows down into his body. We are his body. But some of you are oil blockers. Some of you are blocking the anointing from going into all the body in this church to be used in power. Are you an oil blocker? Disunity keeps the oil from flowing. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity. See, a church without presence and power is a church that has grieved the Holy Spirit and is in danger of having their lampstand removed. What Ephesians is saying is that a church of power is a church that's united is a church that's together. If we want to be a church of power, then we need to go to the Holy Spirit. 
Guys, so many of you in your marriages, so many of you are trying to walk out the Christian faith in your own strength. God never said to do that. He said, not by your own might, not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He's your strength. He's your power. In Isaiah, he says he gives strength to the weak. He increases the power of the weary. But see, we're not weak enough and weary enough to cry out to him for the power to come upon us and the anointing to come upon us. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4, 2 to 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that word bond is a medical term of ligaments because he's talking about the body of Christ. And it's of a strong, super bonding ligament, powering, tying other ligaments together. And he's saying, this is what the Spirit of God does. He ties us together if we'll let him. The Amplified Version helps us to see our need to depend on the Spirit. It's on the screen below. And it says this, be eager and strive earnestly to guard. There's our word, guard the unity. Guard and keep the harmony and oneness. That's the word unity in the Greek. It's of an orchestra coming together. And the unity of oneness, we're one in Christ, of and produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. He's saying the Spirit of God is who does this. See that word peace that the Spirit of God does? It comes from this word Irene. And have you ever heard that name before? It's an older name that we don't really use a whole lot. It's a cool name, Irene. I, I knew a, a few not Irenes in the past, but it comes from the Greek, and it means peace. We get another English word from it, serene. Irene, serene, serenity. See, when we think of serenity, we think of like a beach and a sunset and it's not too hot, a little bit of wind, maybe, you know, a, a drink and, and, and it's just relaxing. That's what we think of serenity. But this word serene or Irene in the Greek was a colloquial Greek and it meant a villages had these officials who were superintendents of the village. They kept the public peace. The, the closest thing I could think of is in the Old West, you had the, the, the people... Keep, the sheriff's keeping the peace, right? They had the crazy boots on and uh, all that, spurs and stuff. But they kept peace with a rifle, right? The peacekeeper. But the Holy Spirit's job is not to force peace, but to bind us together in peace. We need to strive to submit to the Holy Spirit who keeps the peace and binds us together in oneness. He is the key. See, we usually don't seek peace, right? We usually seek to be right, Right? Can we just be real? We like to be right. We are justice seekers for others, but not for ourselves. We want justice all day long for somebody else, but for ourselves, we don't really want that. And Satan loves that. He loves it, and he turns brothers and sisters against each other, seeking justice. But listen to what James says in the Bible. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. This is my favorite phrase right here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me show you if you want to get judgment. If you're like, no, I'm about judgment. See, we love this verse. Maybe you've heard this before. Give and it will be given unto you, given back to you, 
good measure, pressed down, shaking together, flowing over. We like that. It sounds weird. What are they talking about, shaking together? Is this like a new dance Tim Parker's going to do? Like, what, are they, what is the Bible talking about? See, we like that because we, we, we think of financial stuff, right? Well, if I give money, man, God's going to give me a bunch back. And there is a financial piece in there. But let me show you the context of what Jesus is talking about. Luke 6, 37, 38. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It sounds weird to our ears, right? But it's a term for the poor. This is what the poor did, who had to trail behind the harvesters and collect food. They would get a basket, usually it wasn't even their own, and they would fill it to a good measure. The people that were workers had to leave stuff behind, and they would leave the corners of their fields for the poor. So they would fill it to a good measure. They would get it as full as they could. Then they would press it down in the basket and make room for more. Then they would shake it together to get all the little bits down. They're making as much room as possible. Then they would get it into their robe, and somebody else would come in and pour more in until it was overflowing. Basically, this is saying, whatever you give, you will get a lot more of the same in return. This is a universal principle with God. You always receive back more than you give. But what are you giving to your brother or sister? See, the context puts the promise in a very sobering light. If you give judgment, judgment will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. If you give condemnation, condemnation will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and floating over. The good news is, if you give forgiveness, an abundance of forgiveness will be given back to you. If you sow love, you will receive an overflowing harvest of love. You reap what you sow, Galatians says. And remember, God commanded them to do this. Why did God command them to do this? It's a little bit weird. Did, is it just because he cared about poor people? Yeah, he does. He does. But God says something very interesting. He says, he says you know what, well, guys? You know why I want you to do this? I want you to remember that I brought you out of Egypt. That when you were poor, I made you rich. That when you didn't deserve it, I gave you everything. That I rescued you. Now go rescue others. See, he wants them to remember salvation, their redemption. They were brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God is saying, I saved you, now go save others. Remember, you were once poor. Now do it for others. It's a picture of salvation. And I think it's crucial that we remember the cross in dealing with each other, that we remember our salvation, that that's what God is saying here. Remember your salvation. When we lose the awe of the cross, we lose the ability to see ourselves and others properly. When we kneel before the cross, it's there that we remember who we are and who we were. You see, what we've been given, we're to give away. And I don't know about you, but I deserve hell. But I was given mercy. I deserve unforgiveness. He said, I freely forgive you. I deserve condemnation. He says, I'll give you grace. We are people of the cross. It defines us. It's the game changer. 
It's what we go back to. We need to remember our poverty. We need to remember where we came from. And then we need to remember who made us rich. We need to remember who we are now in Christ. We have a relationship with the God of the universe. Tim Keller has this quote that I think we need to keep before our eyes that illustrates this. He says, you are more wicked than you ever believed. Thanks, Tim. Good to know. But at the same time, you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared to hope. Now accept others. See, it's a good thing that the father saw the son. He saw the sinless, spotless lamb and examined it and not you. See, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean heart. And when I came before the father, what I remember is there's no way he would accept me. I've done too much. But then the father looked at the son, the pure, spotless, sinless lamb of God, and he examined him and not me. He got what I deserved. And he says, I've examined it, and I pardon you. Because of the lamb of God, come into my presence. How can we forget that? How can we forget all that he has done for us? He has forgiven us our debts. He says, I find no fault in you. Come into my presence by the blood of the lamb and the righteousness of my son. I've forgiven your debts. But I believe there's a few parables that talk about a guy who had a bunch of debt. He goes in. The master says, you're forgiven. Then he goes out to his brothers and sisters and says, you pay me back that debt right now. And there's no mercy. And the master hears about it. He says, you tell him to come here right now. Why didn't you forgive the debt like I forgave yours? And it was not a good day in that, for that guy right there, all right? We have to remember that our debt has been paid. Jesus paid it all. His blood speaks a better word. What about you? Do you speak a better word about your brothers and sisters in Christ? This is what I get excited about. This is why we are TBA. With unity comes power and authority. With unity comes power and authority. Now listen to me. I'm going to say something. They're going to be like, I don't, I don't know, Brian. You're, maybe you're, is this right? Listen, God will not do what he's asked the church to do. Let me say it again. God will not do what he has asked the church to do. We need to exercise our spiritual authority together. And we have incredible authority that's been given to us. In Luke chapter 10, the 70 disciples go out and they minister and they're returning. And they say, Lord, Lord, even the demons submitted to us. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall out of heaven like rain, like lightning. Therefore, I have given you church, TBA, given you authority to trample snakes and scorpions. That's demonic powers that are working in our world, trying to divide everything and everybody and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, all is a powerful word, isn't it? All, it's a very important word, all. You know how much authority the church has over the devil? All. He has given the church the ability to use authority, that nothing will harm us if we use our authority. But what if we don't use our authority? We get clobbered. And Jesus says, I've given you the authority. 
Don't be a powerless church. The responsibility lies with us. Look, guys, I don't know about you, but Jen can attest to this. Sometimes whining in the spirit is my spiritual gift. You know what I'm saying? Stuff happens in the church, stuff, you know, in your, at home with your kids or your marriage, and you just whine before the Lord. You're just like, you're like, Lord, why? Why, Lord, what, what are you doing? I don't see you at work. Lord, why don't you stop them from saying the things you're saying? Lord, come on. And, and really, if we got down to it, we want to offer our hit list to the Lord. Like, Lord, there's some names right here that if you could just take care of that, that would be really good, right? But at some point, at some point, God says, when you were younger in faith, I took care of you. I protected you. I defended you. But at some point, I want you to grow up, and I want you to fight. And he says, you will fight or you will perish. I have given you incredible authority, so use it. You'll forgive or you'll perish. I mean, that's not what we want to hear. We want to hear God say, well, I'm going to come down and beat up everything, everybody for you. We want quick solutions to whatever our problems or predicaments are, right? But Jesus says, love them, bless them, pray for them to prosper. Let my spirit help your heart. And remember that person is the same as you were to me, an enemy. But I loved you and laid down my life for you. And pray as a church. Guys, this is where we are powerful. And pray as the church. Pray as the family of God together in authority and power and refuse to let families and marriages fall by the wayside. Refuse to let sickness dominate us. Refuse to let the lost go to hell. God is waiting for us to use the power and authority he has given us. And we use that authority to bind and loose. Listen to what what Matthew says. Matthew 18, 18 through 20. says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, here's what connects it all. This is, verse 19 is very important to all this process of binding and loosing. It says, I tell you the truth that if two of you on earth agree on anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. You see, bind means to allow. Loose means to disallow. What you don't allow in your life, what you don't allow in the church, what you don't allow in your family, what we don't allow in our children, when we pray together, when we say together, we bind the spirit of rebellion in the name of Jesus. We bind the spirit of despair in the name of Jesus. Whatever it is, we bind the spirit of disunity in Jesus. Because the devil and the world are after our teenagers, our marriages, our homes, our children. And when the church comes together, God honors it. There's power in unity. There's power in what we allow or disallow. And we need people to rise up and say, no more. I will stand before my God with the authority and power he's given me. And I will pray. God has put this in our hands. We must battle or perish against the things that try to divide. You see, the church is meant to be a healing station for the world. How can we do this if we're wounding each other? Remember I said hurt people hurt people? Well, healed people heal people. Forgiven people forgive people. Some of you need healing today. You need the Holy Spirit to touch those wounds. Some of you have been walking in the flesh. These small things that are killing you, and you don't realize that it's killing you. And you're dividing the church. You need to repent. Change your mind. 
Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Do we have room for him? He's right over there outside the door. TBH. Are you going to reconcile with your brother? Are you going to love each other? Are you going to be in union and in unity? Do we have room for him? We have to be the church that lets him in. My question to you, TBA, are we drowning out the knock of the Lord with our devouring each other? Because at some point, we will lose our witness. Are we bearing with one another in love, being patient? Jesus is knocking, TBA. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Jesus is knocking on the door of your families. Jesus is knocking on the door of your children. Can I come in? I know what's best for you. Let me be Lord. Let me take the throne that is rightfully mine. Will he take the throne that is rightfully his at TBA? As the band comes up, how does spiritual breakthrough happen? When we stop grieving the Holy Spirit and we forgive, when we heal, when we overlook an offense, when we absorb the cost, it's repentance. It's changing our minds to agree with what God says. And in 1 Timothy, Paul instructs this. Paul says, Timothy, look, I want men and women everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Why did he say that? Because he knew the danger in the church. And why did he say lift up holy hands? Why did he say lift up holy hands? I just want everybody to stand up right now.